I'm still in a series, Hearts Cry, from the book of Psalms, and tonight I want to talk to you about the answer. Will you say that with me, the answer? I want to talk to you about the answer tonight. Uh, how many of you know that me and you have the answers of what the world needs around us? At MFI, there was a pastor that named there. His name is Mekon Carter, and he shared a few things that really touched my heart. Matter of fact, we may be having Mekon in here next year. We'll see how it goes. But he said a few amazing things. One of the things that he said, this is not a quote, but it's really close, and this is what he said. We will not, their church is called Together Church. This is what he said about their church uh, in Yakima. He said, we will not have a church that believes and has the answers, but doesn't share the answers or doesn't do anything with the answers. How many of you know that's pretty good? That we shouldn't be a church that has the answers and, 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 and knows the solution, but we don't do anything about that. That's like being an, invent an inventor that has an invention that can absolutely change the world. Or maybe you come up with a vaccine that wipes cancer out, but you don't want to share it with anyone. I was thinking about what Mekon said, and I was thinking, man, he took the words right out of my mouth. Of Heart of the City Church, we refuse to have the answer and know the answer, but not be involved in sharing the answer. How many of you are going to refuse that with me? That's why we do back to school. That's why we do single moms outreaches. That's why we do city uh, fall fest that's coming up real soon. That's why we do outreach after outreach after outreach because we believe that we have the answer. I want to let you know tonight, church, that you have the answer. Heart of the city, church, you have the answer. Uh, you, you individually have the answer. There's not a person, if you are a believer in here tonight, you have the answer. You have the answer to the problems that people are faced with in this day and time. You have the answer to marriage problems. You have the, the answers to health problems. You have the answer to terrorism. Can you believe that? You have the answers to life and happiness, eternal life, and even death. It's called the Great Commission, and it's about Jesus Christ. How many of you know that he is the answer? J-O-J-R-U, you, you for real about that, that we literally have the answer? Absolutely. You have the answer. You have the answer to every problem that we face in this world today. I want to let you know the answer is about Jesus. It's about forgiveness. It's about healing. It's about giving and loving and have a relationship with God, an infinite God. It's about peace from God. It's about uh, forgiveness from God. It's about he's given us the victory because he's almighty. He's all powerful. I want to let you know that you have the answer. I think we should refuse as a church of having the answer, but not be involved in giving the answer to the world around us. I want you to look at a scripture tonight, Colossians 4, 6. If you got your Bibles, turn there. I think it's going to be behind me. There it is right there. How many of you got your Bible tonight? Raise your hand. Let me check on you. Let me do a little Bible check. You got your Bibles? Stand up with me. Just stand up if you got your Bibles. Jay, are you making me feel real uncomfortable? Not if you're standing up, you shouldn't feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Praise God. Just kind of get, I'm just kind of giving a pulse on those who pack their Bible. You know, I used to pack a pistol. Now I pack a gun. I pack the word everywhere I go, not a gun anymore. I maybe pack gun occasionally, but I do pack the word. You can be seated. Tell your neighbor, you should bring your Bible. That's a good thing. Amen. That's some good peer pressure, amen? 
Come on. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace. Look at that. Don't, don't let any of the word of God just slip by you. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with little salt. That you may, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. God wants you to have the answers to the problems of folks around you day in and day out at your job site or in the gym or friends, family, wherever you are. You have the answer. I think I'm here to encourage you that you got the answer. Who was Paul talking about? Who was he saying that you should have the answer for? Back up one scripture, verse 5, says this, walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. Everyone say outside. We should have the answers to those who are on the outside, those who are unbelievers, those who are in bondage, pain, hurting, lost, prodigals, those in addiction, those suffering, those who absolutely doesn't know Jesus, the world around us, we should have the answers. How many of you agree with me with that tonight? I hope to just kind of infuse you with this tonight. Psalms 51, 9 through 13. I've been talking about David a lot in this series of Psalms, Heart Cry, because David wrote most of the Psalms, and one of the Psalms was Psalm 51 after he had a horrible situation with bathing bath Sheba. Come on, somebody. Bathing bath Sheba. And he wrote the Psalms, and, and I, I really want to, I'm going to read a few scriptures, but I really want you to see verse 13. It says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my inequities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is after he could, committed adultery, murder, or set it up for Uriah to be murdered, lied, deceived, on and on. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. This is what I want you to see. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. I love that because what I think David is saying there is that David had the answers. I will teach transgressors your ways. If you are teaching someone, guess what? That means that you have answers. David, even though he went through a horrendous time, he still had answers. Church, we have answers that we must be ready to give away. I remember the third test that my wife got about 20 years ago. It was prophesied over us, get a third test. She had breast cancer and you know, they had given us a terrible report, and we walked in, and we need a third test. The doctor didn't really like that, and anyway, he ended up giving us a third test in the Tumor Institute of, of uh, Boise, Idaho, and, and, you know, we were just being who we are. My wife was giggling and laughing during the third test, and 
The doctor left. He says, I got to make sure you got, we got enough cells to, to test this out and I'll be back in a minute. He walks out and the nurse walks back in, slams the door and says, what is up with you guys? This place is a place of death and you're full of joy and laughing. And do you think at that moment I said, oh, it's just because uh, we read self-help books <laughs> or we're just positive people. We're just happy people. Do you know what we got to tell her right then and there? Nurse, it's to the J, to the E, to the S-U-S. It's about Jesus. I didn't spell out Jesus. (laughs) But we let her know the answer of what she might be experiencing at the time. God wants you to have the answer for those who ask you at any moment in your life of what's going on in your life. Who is this Jesus? Why are you who you are? He wants us to have the answers at our schools and university at home. And he wants you to be ready with the answer. I almost named this message tonight the house of answers. And and, uh, why did I almost name it the house of answers? I'm glad you asked. I'll give you the answer. 1 Peter 2, 5 says, You also, living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. Spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Everyone say spiritual house. house. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house, everyone say earthly house, This tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 10. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fields. We are God's building. Will you say that with me? God's building. According to the grace of God which has been given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each of you take heed how he builds. Peter calls us a house. Paul calls us a house and a building. Uh, what kind of house are you tonight? What kind of house are you? How many of you know there's all kind of houses? Big houses and little houses and brick houses. How many of you live in a brick house? Wood house. How many of you live in a wood house? How many of you live in a house of hut? I don't know. You're not raising your hand. You live in a what? A yurk. Oh, okay. There's all kinds of houses. And the Bible calls me and you a house. Some houses got wood stove and a gas stove and leather furniture. What's in your house? I just want you to think about a house and you as a house tonight because I'm going somewhere with this. Are you a a hoarder? You got all kinds of stuff in your house? Or your house kind of empty and, um, you know, my wife likes flat spots. Any place there's flat spots in the house, she's going to put something on it. (laughs) I asked her if I could just dig on her a little bit. She's getting better at it. We've had a bar at our house that was built in our kitchen. You know how many times we've eaten at that bar? I don't think ever because there's stuff all over the bar, isn't there, Jamie? Because any place there's flat stuff in our house, 
pretty much there's going to be something on it. I thought my wife's got something going on with flat spots, but you better get in the motel room. When you check in the motel, I better run in there and get my stuff in the, in the bathroom real quick because there's flat spots in there, you know? She saves me a little room, a little room for my deodorant and toothbrush, maybe. Your house, look at your neighbor and say, your house. What kind of house are you? What's in your house? What is your house? What does your house have to offer? If you're a house, what does your house have to offer? Mekon said something else powerfully at MFI, and I loved it. There were some things that he said that just really impacted my heart. He said, blessing is not what God can do to you or do to me, but what God can do through me. Blessing is not always, God wants to bless you and he's going to bless you. I believe that with all my heart. But it's not always about what God can do to you. That's truly a blessing. But it's what God can do through you. What does God want to do through your house tonight? John 5, 2, if you'll turn there, it's going to be behind me. John 5, 2 starts out with a story. I want to hit this story just for a moment. I've preached on this story before. I love this story. And it says this, now there in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in, is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. Will you say that word with me, Bethsaida? It means, I think it's very interesting what it means. It, it means uh, a house of kindness. Pool in Jerusalem, house of mercy. It also means flowing water. I want to get back to those in just a few minutes. A house of mercy, a house of kindness, and what I would call tonight a house of flowing water. John 3, 5 through 3, it says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people. This place was packed full of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Multitudes. Multitudes of people waiting on the answer. Waiting on. There's multitudes of people around us every day, you guys. Multitudes of people, not just at Bethsaida. But at work, everywhere you go, there's not a place that I don't go in the gym or what have you that I don't see people not looking for answers. There's multitudes of people looking for answers. I think that we should be a church that would offer those answers. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped first after the stirring of the water was made well, whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, what if you can't step? then you are not never going to get in that water unless somebody puts you in this water. This guy had been there 38 years, verse 6. <laughs> then Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he already had been there in that condition a long time. How many of you agree with me? If you're jacked up, sick, lame, paralyzed, whatever, for 38 years, that's a long time. How would you like to have the flu for 38 years? 
not 38 hours, 38 years. Jesus knew he had been in that condition a long time. And he said to him something very unique. Do you want to be made well? You would think that would be the obvious. But the obvious is not always the obvious at times. Radine and I have worked with many people for many, many, many years. And I think it was a great question that Jesus asked. Do you want to be made well? I think that's important. I think you need to be discerning in that. Do you want to be made well? I know you've been jacked up for 38 years. I don't know why you didn't roll down in that pool when the angel, I don't know why you didn't bet. I don't know why you didn't get in that water, but you've been there for 38 years. I find that some folks don't throw your stones at me tonight, but I've dealt with people on painkillers, and it's like, do you really want to be made well? I know some of you are mad at me right now. Because it doesn't appear that you really want to be made well. 38 years. People, you know, and some people, they're on different things and they should be, and God bless them. And and I'm not dissing those that need, I'm just saying that I've dealt with people that really needed to get off painkillers. And they really didn't want to get off painkillers, no matter what they said. Are you following me? Anybody mad yet? Good. And then there might be people who are on disability that they may not need to be on disability any longer. I don't know. I'm not here to diss them. I'm just saying Jesus asked a legitimate question. Do you want to be made well? You think this brother would say yes? Wouldn't you? 38 years? You you think the next verse he's going to say, yeah. He doesn't, Jesus asked him a yes and no question. Do you want to be made well? Man, if I'm jacked up 38 years, I'm going to be, yes! (laughs) If you're new, I yell a lot. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at all. I don't even know why I do that exactly. (laughs) But I do. I'm passionate about what I believe and what I preach. Is that okay? So I I do know. I do know why I do it. But I think I scare visitors sometimes. Do you want to be made well? You know what the guy says? The sick man answered, sir, he didn't say yes or no. Sir, I have no one, no man to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus didn't say, oh, you poor little guy, you, oh, I can't believe somebody would ever do that to you. You've been sick here for 38 years and somebody steps in front of you. You know, I love what Jesus did. Jesus has got the answer. 
Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well. Took up his bed and walked, and that day was a Sabbath. It's good for you to know that that day was a Sabbath because Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. I would think that would be perfectly fine. Wouldn't you? I mean, they circumcised on the Sabbath. They did all kinds of things. You heal on the Sabbath. Hey, they wanted to absolutely accuse him because he did it on the Sabbath. That's a whole other sermon. That's for free. Verse 14, let me just skip ahead. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more. Least the worst thing, uh, look here, come upon you. Jesus reminds him, hey, you're well. Jesus gives him truth, honesty, and says to him, go sin no more. It made me think that maybe his sin. Now, don't, don't get mad at me because not all sin is this way. But in this case, it looks like sin is connected to his sickness. Okay? Is that okay for me to say? I'm not saying it's always that way. It's not always that way. It just seems that in this case, because Jesus said, go sin no more, at least something worse come upon you, it seems like they may be connected, okay? My point with this tonight is that Jesus had the answer for this gentleman. There's multitudes around us that needs the answer. Jesus has the answer. He's the answer house. And guess what? He's given me and you the answers to those who are suffering around us every day to be able to touch them. Now, let me get back to something very interesting, Bathsheba, the meaning of Bathsheba. This is where we're going. The meaning of Bathsheba was house of kindness, house of mercy, and flowing water. So I'm going to call it house of flowing water. Remember, in the very beginning, the Bible says, me and your house. And I want to talk to you. People all around us, like the man and the multitudes at the pool, are looking for answers. They're stuck 38 years. People around you stuck in broken relationships, stuck in addiction. You fill in the blank. People around us are absolutely jacked up looking for answers. We have the ability to help folks. And I don't think that we should deny them. Three areas that I think can make our answers very attractive to folks around us. Three answers. Three houses. I think it's very attractive if me and you are a kind house. Will you say that with me, kind house? I know I didn't seem very kind when I was screaming a while ago. I'm screaming with extreme kindness. Kind house. I think another something that is so beautiful, attractive, is that if we are a house of mercy, that we, listen, that we have answers for people that are merciful. And the last one is that we are a house of living water, that you give answers of living water to those around you. The first one, house of kindness, Bethsaida. I'm responsible for my house. I'm responsible for the culture of my house. If my house 
has some jacked up furniture in it. I need to change my furniture. I need to sometimes get rid of old, brash, rude furniture at some times in my life. We were traveling, and my wife didn't see this, and, and uh, I did, but there was a guy checking in luggage. And he's standing there, and I'm looking at his face, and his, first of all, I, I don't mean to diss on him, I'm just bit, using an example, and it's a fact. His face scared me because he looked so mad. And then there was this little new couple, I think they had a little baby with them, and he's like this, next! And they didn't hear him, and I'm like, oh man, he's fixing to go postal. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't want him to help us. <laughs> so he's sitting there, as, next! Something like that. And the impact that we can have on people it's huge. Everyone say kindness. I think God wants to do something in our hearts so deeply in the area of kindness. I know that God's been working overtime in my life in the area of kindness. Jail. Kindness is just not who I am. Well, honestly, it's not who I am either. But I don't have the right to be me any longer. If I, if I call myself a Christian, if I call myself a follower of Jesus, I don't have the right to be me any longer. I got to get rid of some jacked up, brash, rude furniture in my house. This is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Uh-oh. <laughs> love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Come on. Love is kind. Ephesians 4, 32. Look at this. And be. Go with me, church. Go with me, church. And be. Kind. To one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, uh, Christ, forgave you. That word kind, it's beautiful. It means employed. It means better, easy, gracious, kind, goodness, good, fit, fit for use, useful, virtuous, mild, manageable, pleasant. Come on, pleasant. I need to be more pleasant, kind, benevolent. Can somebody say kind? kind. The world, I think, thinks that you're going to get something done if you're a jerk or hard-nosed or rude or harsh or motivate. It's not really motivating people. It's actually manipulating people if you're that way. But it's not God's word. Look what really, 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 if you own a business, if you really want to get people to work for you and you to work with them, look what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible works always, 100% of the time, but you got to work it. Proverbs 16, 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Kind words. Have anybody, if you're married, figured out that God works on these areas of your life through your marriage? 
Have you figured out that marriage is not here to make you happy, but to make you holy? I'm going to marry her. Woo! I'm just going to be so happy. She's so fine. She's finer than dinner wine, baby. Woo! You get married, and it's a conspiracy. Jesus set you up. <laughs> set you up. Why? Because he wants to change you. I still think my wife is fine and hot and all those things. And God uses her, not just to make me happy, baby, but to make me holy. Amen? Look at the news around you and all the accusations and attacks and swearing and digging up old dirt, bones, killing, racism. How many of you know we need some kindness? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy Peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness. Kindness will change the world one person at a time. Do you know that's what, do you know that's how God changes you? It's through his kindness. Listen to this scripture. Romans 2, 4. If you don't, it's not going to be about you ought to write this down. Don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Everyone say kindness. Abraham Lincoln. Despite his busy schedule during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln often visited the hospitals to cheer the wounded. On one occasion, he saw a young fellow who was near death. Is there anything I can do for you? Asked the compassionate president. Please write a letter to my mother, came the reply. Unrecognized by the soldier, the chief executive sat down and wrote as the youth told him what to say. The letter said, my dearest mother, I was badly hurt while doing my duty and I won't recover. Don't sorrow too much for me. May God bless you and father. Kiss Mary and John for me. The young man was too weak to go on, so Lincoln signed the letter for him and then added his uh, postscript written for your son by Abraham Lincoln asking to see the note the soldier was astonished to discover who had shown him such kindness are you really our president he asked yes was the quiet answer now is there anything else I can do the lad re- uh, the lad feebly replied will you please hold my hand I think it would help me see me to the end. The tall, gaunt man granted his request, offering warm words of encouragement until death stole in the, with, in the, uh, in the dawn. Kindness is so attractive, isn't it? I like kind people. How many of you like kind people? Some of you don't. What kind of people you like? <laughs> Seriously. Let's try that again. How many of you like kind people? I really like kind people. I like kind smiles. I like kind words. I like kind tones. It's like having the perfect 
interior and exterior paint. And how many of you went into a house and it's like feels warm? You know, kind people are that way. We were in South Carolina, and I realized tonight I'm not going to get to my other two points. I'll just do it next week. How about that? Y'all think that's okay? I think it's worth what God wants to do in and through you and I, I believe. And if we just camp out on kindness tonight, if it's the kindness of God that leads me and you to repentance, is it not the kindness working through you and I that's going to change lives around us? If it, if it works for God, do you not think it will work for you? Say this with me, kindness. Look at your neighbor and smile at him and give him a big smile. Just say, kind. <laughs> My best friend since third grade, we're not that close any longer just because we're so far away, but his mother texts me weeks ago and said, uh, her name is Miss, we call, you know, in the South, you call everybody Miss Judy or Miss JR, Mr. JR, or you'd be Mr. Michael, you know, in the South. And Miss Judy texts me and says, hey, you know, we want to have you over on Sunday, you and your wife, what would you like to eat? And, and I said, man, I just started going at it, you know, <laughs> seriously. I put fried chicken. She got the best fried chicken in the world, in the South, no, no. I put fried okra, filled, filled peas. Idaho don't know what filled peas is. That's okay. Lima beans, homemade ice cream, boiled peanuts. And we got there, and she had every bit of it. And more. It was just awesome. Can somebody say kind? kind? I was like, wow. People in the South are kind. Not everyone, but a lot. The older I get, I don't really care if I'm politically correct. Is that okay? It's not a vote. I don't really care. But I found that Alaskan Airlines, that's, I'm qualifying. I found out Alaskan Airlines while we were gone, they're very kind. Wow, JR, you, I'm not promoting anyone. I'm just giving you a, a fact that we rode two different airlines and one seemed to be very kind. And it was Alaskan Airlines. And I thought, man, everyone say culture. You're responsible for the culture of your house. Listen, why do you think that airline is kind? Because it's part of their culture. We ate at uh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Hurricane Matthew hits. We, it's still blowing and wind and electricity down and we go, well, we got to find some food. We're in a motel. We ain't got no food, just a couple snacks. And we get to Chick-fil-A, and when we get there, the electricity just went out, and they said, hey, we got some, you know, our sandwiches are just a little bit, they're, they're not really hot, but they were still willing to help us. We paid cash for it and got some great Chick-fil-A sandwiches, and they were so kind. Why is Chick-fil-A so kind? 
because it's their culture. Husbands, I think that we need to set a culture in our homes of kindness. Are you, oh, I didn't get too many amens at all right there. You need to hear that. You're responsible for your culture, your house. It's going to affect your wife and your kids. Kindness. It changes lives. God uses it to change our lives. I think God wants to do something in me and you. Like somebody's sitting right beside their husband right now, and they're like, I hope he listened to this right here. Please, please be awake. <laughs> Psalms 116.5 says, how kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful, this God of ours. J.O., Can I be kind? Every person in the, this is an attribute of God. I'm going to pray tonight that I want you to pray with me. Because the Bible says that God takes us from glory to glory. How many of you know that? Glory to glory to glory to glory. He doesn't take you from glory to grouch. He doesn't take you from glory to grumpy. He takes you from glory to glory. God, let this house right here be a house of kindness. Can you imagine if everybody in this room that we chose to be intentional in working on being kind? I'm not saying fake it, but I will say faith it. And be intentional to change. I need to change my tones the way that I talk. Because I want to be kind. God, can you cut some of the clutter out of my house? That's not creating kindness. Cut some of the crude or the rude or the brash or the rash. I want some kind furniture. Kind words. A kind smile, kind gesture. Can somebody say kindness? Amen. Amen. Amen.